Welcome to the Experience ANU podcast on iTunes. The ANU campus is always alive with plenty to see, hear and do. If you're interested in finding out more about events at ANU, then visit us at anu.edu.au forward slash events or follow us on Twitter at ANU underscore events. We update the ANU podcast regularly, so make sure you subscribe to never miss a talk. I welcome everyone here uh, this evening to uh, the ANU. Uh, my job is uh, rather short. I need to introduce someone who I think probably everyone in this audience knows only too well, uh, and that is uh, Senator Katie Gallagher, who's going to uh, introduce our speaker uh, this evening, uh, of course, Andrew Lee, who's the member for Fraser, former ANU uh, academic himself, and uh, again, somebody who probably needs uh, no introduction uh, with this audience. Um, of course, as people know, uh, Katie was born and raised in Canberra uh, and involved for pol in politics for probably what now seems like a very long period of time, uh, more than 15 years, my notes say. Uh, she moved to the Senate in March of this year uh, after a, uh, a long stint in the ACT government, uh, including three years uh, as the Chief Minister. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome Senator Katie Gallagher. Uh, thanks very much, um, Professor Young, and it's so lovely to be here with you tonight to share uh, this important occasion uh, with uh, Andrew and his wonderful new book, The Luck of Politics. I would like to begin by uh, acknowledging that we meet tonight on the land of the Ngunnawal people, the traditional owners, and I extend my respects to Elders past and present, and also acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and our region. To Dr Andrew Lee, thank you for the invitation. Andrew's asked me to say just a few words tonight about luck and also I get the wonderful job of introducing him to speak about his uh, book. So when I was gathering my thoughts, I, I thought, where do I turn to to talk about luck? So naturally I go to my children who are always great advisors uh, on all matters. And I asked my seven-year-old firstly what luck meant to her. And she answered very simply, when good things happen to you. I then asked my nine-year-old son, and he, I'm not sure he was entirely listening to me, and he copied his seven-year-old sister um, and said, again, focused on the good things. So then I text my 18-year-old, because that's how you tend to communicate with 18-year-olds. And uh, she responded with why, followed by about 25 question marks, <laughs> followed by a few emojis basically indicating that she thought I was going crazy. And so then I explained to her, I'm going to talk about luck tonight. So what do you, you know, what, what do you think about luck? And she said, like, because it usually does start with like, like that time I found $20 in Garima Place. <laughs> so I realised I had to raise the level of my research. And so I, can, I, <laughs> I went to consult a dictionary. I thought I'll start at the dictionary. And so the definition, the traditional definition of luck is the force that seems to operate for good or ill in a person's life, as in shaping circumstances, events or opportunities. Or, as Andrew defines it in this book, events that the individual concerned does not control or predict. But luck is something that each of us experiences. Good luck is something we long for and often search for, and bad luck is something we tend to try to avoid. It certainly shapes our life from the very beginning, 
and remains through us without our lives right until the end. And even then, sometimes our own luck can even outlive us. When reading Andrew's book, The Luck of Politics, it caused me to reflect on, my, on the role luck has played in my life in politics. Bad luck actually got me started in politics back in the late 90s, and good luck got me elected in my first term. And I don't know how many of you understand all the vagaries of the Hare Clark system, but in 2001, 78,528 formal votes were cast in the electorate of Malonglo across 41 candidates, of which uh, we were all vying for uh, one of seven seats. As an unknown candidate, I polled 3,443 number one votes, or just 4.38% of the vote. A quota, which got, gets you automatically elected, was 9,817 votes, so I was way off getting a quota in my own right. So to win my seat, I had to hope and I had to keep my neck in front of the other candidates and try to win on preferences as they were distributed. My closest rival was another Labor candidate who polled 3,202 number one votes, so just 241 less votes than me in an uh, in a electorate where 78,528 votes were cast. Well, I kept my neck ahead of that uh, candidate and I actually won the seat. Uh, and um, when I reflect back on the luck that caused me to get into politics and get elected, that candidate in the final week of the campaign was unable to do a media interview, and I'm sure she regrets this to the dying day, and she handed that opportunity to me. That media interview turned into a hilarious five-minute segment on Triple Six, which actually got replayed through the final week of the campaign, I think three times, um, and I'm sure had something to do with me getting those extra 200-odd votes that kept my neck in front of hers. Um, so that, that's a little bit of luck about how I got... The take-home message from that was I decided never ever to rely on luck when it came down to my own electoral success and the best strategy was to get a quota in your own right. But over the next 13 years, good and bad luck has played an ongoing role in my political career. And it's really difficult to acknowledge this. As politicians, we tend to prefer to identify our own success, not our failures, as a product of our own capability and skill. And some of it is because of that, but as Andrew clearly outlines in his book, luck is all around us, shaping those chances, events, and of course, ever important in politics, the opportunities that lie ahead. So after reading this book, I know that I'm very lucky to be one of the 0.006% of the population who serve in the National Parliament, particularly as my gender, my name, my height were all weighted against me. <laughs> and if you don't follow that logic, you do need to read this book. So whether it's the weather, hot, cold, droughts, floods, international events, the national economy, the global economy, slip-ups, leaks, close votes, death, ill health, plane crashes, that got me worried, surnames, ethnicity, and the order in which your babies were born, and so on, this book takes the reader gently but clinically and rationally through the impact that these variables and these events, these circumstances have on the world in which we live. Now, a small warning for the control freaks among us, and I know that there will be a few in this room. Uh, you will find the contents of this book quite disconcerting, because over 150 pages of facts and figures, which, when presented with the amusing historical anecdotes, demonstrate very clearly just how little we actually control, uh, exercise control in our own lives and life events.
The Politics of Luck is part historical record, part pop culture journal, part political science text. As a whole, and we expect nothing less from Andrew, it's a very entertaining but educating read. The book looks at how luck affects the careers of particular politicians, how it shapes where the gov governments stand or fall, how it examines the role of the media in political life, and then moves beyond the political world and looks at how this has shaped the world in which we live today. For example, just how did the assassination of um, President Kennedy eight days before the 1963 Australian election affect the country we are today? Well, again, to find out, you'll have to read the book. A more recent example of how a single event changed a nation would be to ask the question of what would have happened had the Australian Greens supported Labor's original ETS back in 2009. I, for one, and I can say this because of who I am, still blame that decision and the fallout from it for the election of Tony Abbott as Prime Minister. But whilst the politics of luck can be used to explain a lot, it can't be used to explain everything. And one thing we do know, and this makes the book, this, this point is made in the book and it's made very clear, is that the challenge ahead for those of us from the progressive side of politics is just as the politics seem to get faster and harder and meaner, the opportunities for serious reform become more challenging too. But this does not or should not put us off the work or weaken our resolve. Rather, the opposite is true. This book makes the case for serious reform and serious reformers even more urgent. And with that in mind, it gives me great pleasure to hand over to one of Federal Labor's serious reformers, a man with an exciting future ahead in politics. He's a man with an incredible work ethic. Remember, this is the guy who has voluntarily studied 200 national elections just to test the effect of global economic cycles on election results. And that's in his spare time. A guy with a huge brain and, just as importantly, a very kind heart. So over to you, Dr Andrew Lee. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for that extraordinarily generous introduction. Uh, can I too acknowledge we're meeting in the lands of the Ngunnawal people and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Uh, to thank uh, uh, Colin and Sandy for their organisation, uh, Ian Young, uh, and, uh, and particularly Katie Gallagher. I think, uh, like many Canberrans, uh, having Katie represent us in first the ACT Parliament and now the Federal Parliament uh, feels like each of us has found $20 on the ground in Garima Place. Um, so thank you for that, Katie. And, and it does make you wonder if uh, uh, Katie's predecessors as ACT senators had had a vote in 1974, uh, then the numbers for uh, Fraser to block supply wouldn't have been there. The ACT senators only got a, got a vote from 1975, uh, and that made a crucial difference in the path of Australian history. I want to thank my, uh, acknowledge my uh, staff, uh, past and present, who are here, uh, many uh, uh, friends I can see in the room, uh, and also for those of you who are on social media to uh, uh, tell you that you need to be tweeting with the hashtag luckofpoll, uh, which has been uh, carefully field researched to, uh, to ensure that it's unique for this evening. In mid-2009, Malcolm Turnbull's leadership was in trouble. He'd been relying on a mole from Treasury with the Dickensian name of Godwin Grech. Uh, and Gre Grech's uh, leaks had 
up until that point, uh, proven absolutely faithful. But then he overreached, fabricated an email that caused Turnbull to accuse the Prime Minister of lying and corruption in Parliament. And when it was revealed, Turnbull suffered the biggest fall in his personal approval ratings than the pollsters had ever seen. Fast forward a couple of months and the moves against Turnbull were well underway. As he set to position himself as a potential leadership contender, Joe Hockey decided that to deal with his position on climate change, he would put out a tweet. Hey gang, on read the ETS, keen to get your views. The spectacle of a senior politician putting an issue as serious as climate change out to the Twitterati uh, caused hockey's stakes to fall. Three days later, a group of senior Liberals get together. It's the 30th of November and they decide that one of them, Joe Hockey, will run against Malcolm Turnbull. As the meeting breaks up, one of the participants, Tony Abbott, puts his hand on the door and says, well, actually I will run, sorry, and leaves. The next day is the ballot. It's uh, an unseasonably cold day in Canberra uh, and uh, uh, most of the members of the Liberal, pa Liberal Party room are there. Uh, but one who is not is a Malcolm Turnbull supporter by the name of Fran Bailey. Uh, she's had uh, gone to see her doctor the previous weekend who said she needs an MRI scan and rec recommends against her travelling to Canberra. Turnbull is therefore down one number and finally loses the ballot 41 votes to 42. Had any of those five pieces of luck, uh, Godwin Grech, uh, Joe Hockey's tweet, Tony Abbott's moment with his hand on the door handle, or Fran Bailey's MRI scan gone the other way, it's entirely possible Malcolm Turnbull would have remained leader of the Liberal Party and would be Australia's Prime Minister today. Luck is events that are outside your control uh, and outside your understanding. In 1588, the Spanish decide they will put together a naval expedition to invade England. They call it the Invincible Armada. But as it crosses the English Channel, the Invincible Armada are hit by a freak storm, which wipes out a third of the ships, destroys their chances of successfully invading England, and suggests, by the way, that if you're thinking yourself about putting together a flotilla of ships, the name Invincible is probably not the optimal tag. <laughs> Luck has affected other conflicts as well. On the 28th of June, 1914, an assassination team waits in the streets of Sarajevo for Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Uh, they take a half-hearted attempt to kill him, but fail. Thinking that they're out of danger, the chauffeur drives a little further and then takes a wrong turn down a narrow street. Waiting on that narrow street is a member of the assassination team, Gavrilo Princip. When he steps up to the car, the chauffeur has nowhere to go. The street is too narrow. He fires two shots and kills the Archduke. That provides the pretext that Austria needs to declare war on Serbia, and World War I follows. Luck too struck in World War II. At the end of the war, the Americans decide that they will take the extraordinary decision of dropping a nuclear bomb in Japan. They drop the first bomb in Hiroshima, and they, they, they plan then, a few days later, 
to drop the second bomb on the city of Kokura. But the cloud cover above Kokura that day is too thick. The American bombers don't feel they can see their targets. So they radio back and are told they should go to the second target, a city called Nagasaki. The death toll that day in Nagasaki is somewhere between 40,000 and 80,000. Because it's a bigger city than Kokura, it's likely that around 10,000 more people died on that day than had there not been excess cloud cover. During World War II as well, there are moments of luck that, aff that affect combatants and non-combatants. One of the most famous ships to bring migrants to Australia is the Denira, which brings a group of uh, young Jewish refugees, including Fred Gruen, who was uh, one of my predecessors as head of the Economics Program in the Research School of Social Sciences. Australian academia is greatly enriched by the Denira boys, but that might never have happened had the torpedo that was fired at the side of the Denira exploded when it struck. As uh, Bruce Chapman acknowledged in uh, uh, paying tribute to Fred Gruen's life and the work of his sons, Nicholas and David, uh, we're all here much more fortunate for the incompetence of a German torpedo maker. <laughs> and indeed, luck has shaped Australia's uh, very, uh, very colonial foundings. In 1770, James Cook's ship, uh, travelling up past the Barrier Reef, struck coral. There was horror on board until it was realised that the chunk of coral had not only pierced a hole in the hull, but had also come off and, and was acting like a sort of a plug, stopping the water from flowing in. It provided Cook's men time to fix the hull and managed to sail the ship on further. In the 1780s, La Perouse wasn't quite so lucky. His ship struck coral in Micronesia and was sunk, killing all on board. But for slight differences in those two coral accidents, we might be having this conversation in French rather than English today. Luck matters too in sport. If you look at the NBA, it now features twice as many players who were more than seven foot tall, as it did a couple of decades ago. And while basketballers are getting taller, top gymnasts are getting shorter. Top female gymnasts used to have an average height of five foot three. Now that's four foot nine. We also see changes not just in height, but in their very dimensions. Most of us are square, meaning if you measure us head to foot, it's about you get about the same number as if you measure us fingertip to fingertip. But not NBA players, because they're selected on their, whether their body type can reach the ring, NBA players tend to be wider than they are tall. Uh, swimmers, for their part, tend to have long torsos and stumpy legs. Your chances of making the Olympics, if you don't have the right genetic luck, are smaller than ever before. Now, as you've heard, not everything in politics is luck. But I believe that understanding luck allows you to watch politics in colour rather than in black and white. It's not that black, black and white picture doesn't tell you a lot. I grew up as a kid watching a black and white TV. 
But it's that when you understand luck, you see a fuller picture as to what's going on in politics. And it isn't just that it makes the understanding of politics uh, more nuanced, more interesting. It's also that luck's a really fundamental concept uh, for uh, progressives, for anyone who believes in egalitarianism. An understanding of luck is why we have a public health care system. It's why we have a social safety net. We provide unemployment benefits to people who are unlucky enough to lose their jobs. An understanding of luck is a recognition that the shafts of fate can strike any of us at any time. Sometimes what looks like bad luck can turn out to be good. Uh, John Howard ran for a state seat of Dremoyne in 1968 and missed out by a mere 420 votes, just one fiftieth of the electorate. As Howard later reflected to me in an interview, uh, he was incredibly fortunate in missing out because it then allowed him to run for the federal seat of Benelong in 1974. He also reminded me that the uh, same uh, bad luck which turned into good had happened to Gough Whitlam when he ran for the state seat of Sutherland in 1950, missing out by 456 votes, about that same 2% margin that Howard missed out on. Whitlam also ran for local government, uh, prompting him to say at one point that I could have been Lord Mayor of Sydney, Premier of New South Wales, or President of the Sutherland Shire. <laughs> Alas, the fates were against me. <laughs> One's entry into politics can often have an element of randomness as well. When Joe Hockey ran for the seat of North Sydney, uh, he uh, uh, found himself uh, running in a race in which there was no popular independent because the independent member for North Sydney, Ted Mack, had retired in 1996. Why did Ted Mack retire? Well, he retired from the federal parliament for the same reason he'd retired from the state parliament. He believed in principle that the defined benefit superannuation schemes, which I hasten to say uh, do not apply to Katie or myself, uh, were out of kilter with community standards. And he wanted to retire just before he was eligible for one. Had Ted Mack not retired at that point, it's near impossible to imagine that Joe Hockey might have beaten him. When he ran for pre-selection uh, uh, for the seat of Cook in 2007, uh, in the Scott Morrison was eliminated in the first round ballot. There were 150 voters. Scott Morrison got eight votes. The eventual winner was a candidate by the name of Michael Tauk. But in the days after the ballot, uh, information started to come out about Tauk, about the security firm that he'd run, and the New South Wales Liberal executive talked about whether perhaps they should disendorse him and run the pre-selection again. The numbers were as finely balanced as they could be. And finally, the Liberal Party executive voted by 11 to 9 to overturn the pre-selection result. Morrison ran the next pre-selection and beat businessman Peter Tynan to become the member for Cook. Paul Keating, Malcolm Turnbull, Brian Howe and Gough Whitlam all won their pre-selections with less than 60% of the vote. Sometimes one person's tragedy can be another person's career starter. 
1936, four Spanish generals staged a coup against the government. Their leader was a man by the name of Jose Sanjurjo, who got ready to fly from France back to Spain to take up his role as head of the nation. When the pilot queried the number of large trunks of clothing that he was planning to put on board this small plane, uh, San Giorgio told him very grandly, I need to have these clothes if I am to be attired as the new Cadillo of Spain. The weight brought the plane down, killing San Giorgio. In his place, Franco ruled Spain for an iron, with an iron fist in the ensuing decades. In 1953, the Victorian Liberal leader, Trevor Oldham, flew to Britain to represent his party in the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. His plane crashed, killing Oldham. In his place, Henry Bolte stepped in. The next year, the Victorian Labor Party split, lost office, and Bolte became Premier for the next 17 years. But for a plane crash, it's easy to imagine that when you visit Melbourne, you might be driving across the Oldham Bridge rather than the Balti Bridge. In 1968, Jack Pizzi, the leader of the Queensland National Party, had a sudden heart attack. Joe Bielke-Peterson took up the leadership and became Queensland's longest serving Premier for 21 years. And then there's assassinations. The leading study of assassinations, and yes, there are economists that study political assassinations, <laughs> estimates that about one in five succeed, uh, which I find somewhat heartening, I have to say. <laughs> uh, one of those that failed uh, was the uh, man who took a shot at Teddy Roosevelt in 1912. Roosevelt was about to deliver a speech, and luckily for him, it was a very long speech. A 40-page speech folded in his breast pocket helped stop the assassin's bullet <laughs> and allow Teddy Roosevelt to survive. Yitzhak Rabin was not so fortunate in 1995. An assassin stepped up, fired three bullets from his Beretta pistol, two of which struck Rabin, killing him. Rabin was unlucky in that the shots found their mark, but unlucky too in that his security detail had been far more focused on the threats from a potential Palestinian assassin than from someone like Yigal Amir, from the Israeli far right. This isn't just a story of careers. One can imagine that the Palestinian-Israeli peace process would have followed a very different route, but for the assassination of Rabin. As you've heard, there's uh, a little number, number crunching in the book. Uh, my uh, party leader has been talking about the need for all students to learn coding, and uh, this book was my way of continuing to uh, put my coding skills to use. I've estimated that being top of the ballot can be worth an extra percentage point, uh, which has made a difference for a range of political candidates over the years, uh, including Andrew Lamming, Kim Beasley, and in 2010, Michelle Rowland. I estimate that candidates who are better looking garner more votes, a result which uh, turns out to be quite surprising for those who've ever watched Parliament and wondered, <laughs> is this the best you can do? <laughs> to which I can only respond, you should have seen the ones who missed out. 
I estimate that there is an effect of first name popularity. Psychologists who study first names find that there's a tendency for us to be drawn to the familiar. As one researcher summarises the results, Toby is more likely to drive a Toyota, move to Toronto and marry Tonya. Jack is more likely to drive a Jaguar, live in Jacksonville and marry Jackie. <laughs> so it's not so surprising that those who have popular first names, such as David or Peter, Jennifer or Sarah, score one percentage point more votes than those with rare names, such as Tobias, Nina, Gina or Gareth. <coughs> Having a short surname matters as well. Add 10 characters to your surname and you take one percentage point off the vote. Which may explain why Conchetta Firavanti Wells <laughs> serves in the Senate rather than in the House. There's luck of your parents as well. If your parent was a federal member of parliament, you are 354 times more likely to yourself serve in the federal parliament. A dynastic effect which exceeds anything that I can estimate for any other occupations. And indeed, there's even effect of the weather on polling day. If you're an incumbent, you want rain and cool weather. Each of those boosts your chances of re-election by nearly two percentage points. Cool rainforest conditions are good for those hoping to get another chance for the voters. But if you're a challenger hoping to oust the incumbent party, you want desert-like conditions, hot and dry that boil the blood and seem to see incumbents ousted more often. Luck can be cute, but luck has a deeper meaning too. As the baseball saying goes, some people are born on third base thinking they hit a triple. One study by the World Bank estimates that four-fifths of the income variation we see around the globe is due to the luck of the country you're born in and the luck of the parents to whom you're born. Unless you think you chose your country of birth or you chose your parents, then four-fifths of the variation between you and other people in the world is due to luck. Yes, hard work matters, but a lazy Norwegian is very likely to earn more than a hard-working Nepalese. <laughs> luck, too, is important for our understanding of politics. In entrepreneurship, they have notions of failing fast and failing smart. There's Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who'll take the name of their first failed company and put it on their personalised number plate to remind themselves of the lessons that they learned from failure. Successful politicians have sometimes had an early stint of failure in their careers. Robert Menzies, our longest serving Prime Minister, had an unsuccessful period of leading his party. John Howard, our second longest serving Prime Minister, also had an unsuccessful stint of leading his party. Both reflected on how that early failure helped them to be better leaders. If we're too quick to kick the unsuccessful into the gutter, then we miss out on the lessons that can come from luck. 500 years ago, Machiavelli said that about half of the outcomes in politics are luck. I'm no good at 
estimating precisely what the figure is today, but Machiavelli's benchmark strikes me as roughly right. Putting luck into politics makes us less likely to reveal, revere the successful or revile the unsuccessful. It gives us, I hope, a more enlightened notion of what's going on in politics and can perhaps, too, help us build a gentler politics. Thank you for uh, coming along tonight and for giving me uh, the great good fortune of your presence. I look forward to the questions. Dr. Lee, David Goyne, thank you for a great talk. It's really enjoyable. I was wondering when you were thinking about chance that you, if you thought of the German philosopher Karl von Clausewitz, who uh, writing about war, which is perhaps not dissimilar from politics and it involves competition and uh, you know, a winner-take-all approach, he said it involved the play of three factors, passion, chance and reason. And mm. I think that might well fit for politics too. Did that, did that play any part in your wanting to write about uh, politi uh, luck in politics? Yeah, David, it's a, it's a lovely concept because it does remind us that uh, luck matters, but it isn't everything. Uh, if I thought politics was all the roll of a dice, uh, I wouldn't have uh, put my hand up for this, uh, this extraordinary occupation, which I feel fortunate to, uh, to, to be working in. Uh, you can find examples all around the world of politicians who've made the world a better place. Uh, Jefferson, Mandela, Aung San Suu Kyi, Mahatma Gandhi, political figures who've helped to change the world. Uh, but understanding the role of chance means that even when you look at a great Australian reformer like Paul Keating, you're aware that he won his first pre-selection with just 54% of the vote, that he was appointed shadow treasurer by Bill Hayden in the final weeks of Hayden's leadership. Uh, Hawke would have ousted him and replaced him, with, replaced him with Willis if he could, but he couldn't get away with it. And then when it came time for uh, Keating's tilt at the leadership, uh, it came on the back uh, of the tragic heart attack of Chris Higgins, Secretary of the Treasury, uh, which led Keating to deliver the Placido Domingo speech. Uh, so luck shapes even the careers uh, of, uh, of the great reformers. Uh, Keating, of course, I've described some good luck. Uh, he did have a piece of bad luck. Uh, that uh, George Megalogenis uh, has documented how uh, the recession we had to have uh, press conference followed off the back of a set of GDP numbers which were later revised upwards to take away the recession. Uh, very literally, Keating's recession we had to have is now not considered a recession by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. <laughs> So, and I do talk a little bit about, uh, about gender, because I think of the genetic luck of being born with or without a uh, Y chromosome as being a form of chance. 
Uh, and uh, and the, uh, uh, Amy King, my co-author, and I have looked at the gender voting gap uh, across uh, the, the last 100 years, crunching all the Australian House races uh, going back a century. Uh, the penalty at the ballot box for being a female candidate uh, used to be as high as 10 percentage points. Now it's a third of a percentage point, uh, but that's still a third of a percentage point too big. In the United States, it's an advantage to being a woman running for office, uh, but we don't find that uh, in the House races we look at. Uh, I haven't done anything on luck in honours and awards, but uh, when I had brief responsibility for this, I was the shortest serving executive member of the Rudder Gillard governments in my three months as parliamentary secretary, Julia Gillard, uh, and in that period wrote an opinion piece uh, about the uh, incredible imbalance in honours and awards uh, that went to, went to women. Turns out it's almost exclusively in the nominations process. Conditional on being nominated, women are more likely to, to get an honour or award. Uh, but the nominations process is, uh, in my view, too bureaucratic uh, and tends to favour people who have headed up established organisations rather than toiled for a community sector, sector organisation. Uh, we need to fix that. Thank you, Andrew. Chris Burke here. Just wondering uh, if that analysis on gender that you just presented was also translated in your book, which I had the opportunity to read nearly an hour ago, um, into uh, race and ethnicity in Australia. Yeah, so Chris, uh, when I talked about names before, I focused entirely on Anglo names because I did want to look separately at the, the question of racial differences. Uh, so there's a group at uh, University, uh, of University College London who've created a, an algorithm which means that if I take your name, uh, it will make a, its best probabilistic guess as to the ethnicity of Chris Burke by matching it up against a database of about 30 million names from the census. So I put all of the candidates who've ever run for Australian Parliament into that uh, and find pen, uh, small gaps uh, for people with uh, Europe, uh, European uh, and Middle, Middle Eastern and Asian names. Uh, it's not big enough to be able to look at Indigenous names, but certainly in the Northern Territory you find uh, some, some disturbing, disturbing uh, gaps in, uh, in uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous candidates uh, running there. Uh, again, I, mean, I should have said this in response to Anne, uh, this is not about uh, candidates changing who they are, it's about society changing who we are. Uh, smart firms have unconscious bias training in their hiring practices. There's no reason to think the Australian Electoral Commission couldn't do, this, couldn't do the same uh, to try and encourage people to look beyond the familiar to actually do that important job of choosing the best candidate. Um, Andrew, I just looked up Sportsbet and I see that um, uh, for the next election, the Labor Party's at $2.15 and the Coalition's at $1.73. Um, can you explain the discrepancy between <laughs> what the punters think and what the punters say they think in terms of opinion polling, and what can the Labor Party do to improve the odds? Yeah, so uh, uh, this uh, one of the things in the in the book is uh, is talking about the uh, power of betting markets to forecast election outcomes. Uh, betting markets have a better track record uh, than opinion polls. And indeed, opinion polls who ask not uh, who do you support, but who do you think is going to win, 
turn out to, uh, to, to do better. Uh, it's, uh, it's entirely possible that, uh, that this government will turn things around and for the sake of the nation I certainly hope that they uh, do a better job of, uh, of managing themselves and the economy over the, over the course of the next year. Uh, we haven't had a one-term government since the 1930s, uh, so it doesn't surprise me that uh, the government remain favourites uh, in, uh, in the markets, even although they're, uh, they're, they're underdogs in the, uh, in the polls, because it would be such an extraordinary result uh, if we had a one-term government. Other questions? You'd just like me to get out there and start signing books, wouldn't you? Thank you for your talk. Um, I was just wondering, in poring over the huge amount of data, but also a large number of sort of biographies, I'm just wondering uh, anecdotally what was the most sort of extraordinary lucky story that you came across in preparing this book? I'm sure there were a few amazing... Uh, life stories tucked away in there? So the, uh, the 1940 Canberra Air disaster is, uh, is a pretty extraordinary tale. Uh, I'd, I'd been out to the memorial before, but uh, it hadn't struck me until uh, I delved into it, and uh, uh, there's a splendid book, 12 Journeys to Cam uh, Cameron's Farm, which, which goes into it in great detail, uh, what an impact it made on Australian politics. Uh, the, uh, the air disaster killed three members of, of a nine-member cabinet and left Menzies uh, almost bereft. Uh, he lost the leadership not long afterwards uh, and, uh, and that's, it, it's, it's easy to imagine that but for the air disaster uh, that Australian history might have gone differently. Uh, interestingly, it also caused... Harold Holt to be recalled. We think of Holt as being uh, unlucky, of course, because of the way in which he met his end. Uh, but what's not often realised is that Holt had gone off to serve in, in World War II. Uh, he was referred to as Gunner Holt. Uh, as a member of parliament, he, he, was, uh, he was fighting. Uh, Menzies called him up after the air disaster and brought him back. Uh, Holt rose through the ranks. Uh, and but for the 1940 air disaster, Holt would surely not have been in the position to succeed Menzies as Prime Minister. Is it very clear that the state of the economy at election time affects um, the luck of an incumbent government? So the state of the economy certainly has an impact on the incumbent government, and then you need to separate that into luck and skill. Uh, if, uh, if you were to learn that uh, a... Uh, uh, that the Australian economy, uh, when the Australian economy performed badly, governments were less likely to be re-elected. Uh, you might well think of that as voters uh, making a, a choice to support governments that can, uh, can manage the economy well uh, against those who manage it badly. Uh, but what's su more surprising uh, is that when the United States unemployment rate is high, uh, the, uh, the chances of uh, premiers being ousted goes up. Uh, when the United States unemployment is, is low, that is when the United States uh, economy is ticking along well, uh, our premiers are more likely to get, get re-elected. Uh, to think of a simple example of this, uh, you can take the period 1992 to 1995, uh, a lousy time for the US economy, uh, contagion which flows through to Australia. 
Uh, six of our eight jurisdictions see the ousting of a leader during that period. Uh, fast forward to the early 2000s, US economy is going strongly and Australia is doing well as well. Uh, and in that period, no state or territory government uh, is ousted. Uh, so uh, voters do reward uh, economic skill at the ballot box, uh, but they're also not able to completely pass out uh, the effect of the economy which comes uh, from the global economy being, uh, being up or down. Psychologists call it the fundamental attribution error. Uh, and it's, uh, it's why uh, we, uh, we don't always, for example, think that uh, uh, a batsman playing at the MCG uh, is as good, despite the fact that they might be doing their best, but it's just a, a darn hard ground to hit a boundary on. Um, Dr Lee, thank you very much for your very interesting talk. And I can imagine that um, bearing in mind the unfortunate circumstance of the the politician with large, uh, the large wardrobe, you have a very small uh, wardrobe when you travel uh, on business, so that's, that's very good. But I was actually, uh, you, you had a number of You mean go my tyres, that was saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you hinted a number of times that, that, that part of the job of maybe a politician such as yourself is, is to try and uh, redress or protect people mm. from bad luck. And I'm wondering if you'd like to say anything more about um, the, the role of caring for people who have bad luck, the, the role of uh, a caring society to, to look after people who otherwise, you know, might be left, you know, completely without help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at its um, most extreme, you can think of me as sort of pushing back against the Ayn Rand uh, view of the world, uh, the view that's sometimes propagated in uh, the, uh, the more conservative trend aspects of the self-help movement, that says that you can control everything and that if you observe somebody in life who is poor, they are poor because they didn't try hard enough. Uh, I profoundly disagree with that view. Uh, people are fortunate in the cards that they're dealt at birth. They're fortunate too in the time that they're dealt those cards. Uh, Warren Buffett points out that his particular set of skills would have brought no value had he been born at almost any other moment in human history. It's the fact that Buffett has his financial skills at this moment in world history that allows him to be wealthy. I'm a skinny guy who's short-sighted and for most peri periods in human history that would have meant that the uh, saber-toothed tigers were pretty likely to get me. <laughs> I'm just really fortunate to live in a moment in human history uh, where there's a dearth of saber-toothed saber tigers. Uh, that, that, that's, that's luck and, uh, and to recognise your own fortune is important, uh, to recognise the misfortune of others matters too, uh, to not see poverty as a moral failing uh, but uh, the chance of bad luck. This used to be more common on my friends in the conservative side of politics but the, uh, the principle of noblesse oblige seems to be uh, fading away more than I'd like. Uh, and, uh, and the idea that, all, that uh, with, with success comes obligations to the most, vu most vulnerable uh, is an idea which, which used to be right across the political spectrum and, and we need more of in Australia. Would you agree with whichever journalist and philosophy said that Bill Shorten is the luckiest Labor leader in Australian history? So what's the case for this? What's the, uh, what's the luck that, uh, that Bill's been bestowed? <laughs> 
Well, I'm not sure I remember all the details. I remember some of them, obviously, the fact that he's up against a, a deal like our present body. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fact that, that a royal commission that should have brought him undone has instead brought itself undone, thanks to this beat up about uh, Liberal Party fundraisers. Um, the fact that he's at a time when there's kind of a bit of a newspaper war going on, there's a kind of attempt to turn the Australian media the way the British media are, you know, where individual newspapers side openly with one particular side of politics. So he's got, you know, the ABC, well I shouldn't have said the ABC in that context, but he's certainly got the ABC on his side and he has the Fairfax media on his side. At other times in history that wouldn't have existed. In fact, there's rarely been a Labour leader so openly supported by newspaper So I, uh, I, I'm not sure I buy the media argument, but certainly there's, uh, there's some elements of, uh, of, of luck that one can point to. Uh, one, th uh, one issue which Annabel Crabb raised with me and uh, I discuss in the chapter on luck and the media uh, is the chance of what's going on in the rest of the world uh, when you make a gaffe. Uh, if uh, Tony Abbott had chosen to give a knighthood to a duke uh, in a busy media time, uh, then it might not have been a story. But he chose to do it at one of the quietest media times of the year, <laughs> ensuring that that story ran on. Uh, that's, uh, that certainly uh, was one factor which, uh, which led to the, uh, to the leadership challenge early on. Uh, you, can, you can see good and bad luck in everyone's careers, but I would certainly uh, not see Bill Shorten as being a, a case on the, uh, on the edges. I see John Howard perhaps as our luckiest politician, uh, somebody who uh, was fortunate, fortunate in his entry into politics, uh, but then also fortunate uh, to be there at the time when uh, Downer, uh, Downer's leadership imploded, uh, fortunate to uh, just get over the line in uh, 1998 with a minority of the popular vote, uh, fortunate again uh, in the circumstances of uh, 2001, uh, trailing uh, behind in, uh, in the markets, uh, but then uh, pulling ahead after the tragedy of September 11. Uh, Howard's, in, in Howard's career, you can see a great deal of luck. Uh, in Beasley's, the very opposite. Uh, somebody who, was, uh, who didn't win despite getting a majority of the popular vote in 1998, didn't get over the line in 2001, and then uh, in part due to uh, a simple flub up, uh, a mix, uh, mixing up uh, Karl Rove and Rove McManus, uh, saw a leadership challenge against him in 2006. Uh, Beasley is, is deep, deeply unlucky in his career and, and extraordinarily gracious in, uh, in, in, in accepting the bad luck that, uh, that life has dealt him. Yeah, it's a good point. It's, uh, uh, 
to make the case that uh, if the car hadn't turned down that street in Sarajevo, uh, World War I would have been averted is, is too strong. Uh, you can see luck very, uh, very clearly in uh, the lives of individual soldiers. Uh, Stanley Bruce, for example, uh, was shot in the arm uh, in, uh, in Gallipoli. Uh, that caused him to be evacuated from the front just before his unit went into a very serious engagement in which uh, a majority of them were killed. Uh, he was unlucky to be shot in the arm, but uh, very lucky not to be shot in the chest. Uh, but again, we're talking about individuals, and, uh, and, and I take your point that much in life is, uh, is, is large forces pushing up against one another. Uh, but individuals do make a difference. If JFK hadn't been assassinated in 1963, uh, one can imagine that American social policy and perhaps even the entry into Vietnam might have looked different. Uh, if in uh, 1963, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the 1961 Communist Party preferences hadn't seen the re-election of the Menzies government uh, and had seen again Caldwell becoming leader, uh, Caldwell would have eliminated so-called women's rates of pay uh, a decade earlier than actually happened in Australia. Australia was, there was always the forces to remove that uh, institutionalised gender pay discrimination, uh, but the, the luck of a particular event did change the timing, uh, not, not by a trivial amount. Uh, thank you all for being, being here to, tonight, really appreciate it, and uh, very happy to, uh, to sign whatever books are, uh, remain unsigned. Thank you. <laughs>